Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, episode 30, History of Beer, part four. I'm James Evers. I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And today on the episode, we're picking up where we left off in the history of beer, 1492 to 1800s. Yeah, so on today's episode, we are covering the time period which Mr. Mayhew over there just um, told us. That's me. And during that time period, some crazy stuff happened, such as the Reinheitsgebot, um, some cool brewing stuff in England, the first breweries in the United States of America. We also have the first draft beer systems, as well as some other sciencey and innovative things that were happening. We had more styles being invented, as well as a bunch of breweries all over the world that were popping up that are still in existence to this day, in one form or another. So join us as we go down the rabbit hole of American ales, Bavarian brews, and colonial cervezas <laughs> in the history of beer, part four. Ready to do this? You guys ready? Fuck yeah, I'm ready. I've been born ready, son. Okay. Oh, Renaissance. 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 Reinheitsgesance. Renaissance. Cheers, everybody. Renaissance. Renaissance. This is it. Cheers. Episode. Oh, what are we drinking right meow? All right. So Whoa. we're drinking Guinness. And this is also our first beer back from Dry January. Oh, yes. I love the timing of this episode. Oh, it, it worked out perfectly. It was so perfect. Because we did not plan this. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, February 1st. Yep. History of Beer, part four. Part three. Part four? Part, part four. four. Yeah. The breaking part of our four. Dry January is behind us. Yep. 31 days sober longest i've gone without drinking a beer since i was 16 years old yes and you can hear much more about that in the soaking wet february episode indeed which is to follow well last year you did it and you no, were successful failed. no he had like a wedding <gasps> oh and, that's yeah. right wedding work party yeah so i drank two of the weekends out of the four <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for some reason that that month felt a lot shorter too but whatever i bet yeah so we're drinking guinness today why are we drinking Guinness today, Seth? We are drinking Guinness because um, during the time period which we're covering today, Guinness was founded. Oh. Yes. What? Yes. What? So Guinness, as most of you I'm sure know of, is one of the world's most popular beer brands. And I didn't realize this until I actually looked up some more stats on Guinness. Sure. But um, it's brewed in almost 50 countries. That it's being, brewed in it's brewed in forty nine countries. Damn, okay. brewed, and it is available in hundred and fifty countries. Isn't there only like two hundred and ten countries in the We're world? We're gonna have to shit? look at that. So it's available in most of the countries in the world, basically. More than half, at least. Yeah. So Guinness owns five breweries. In the locations of those, did not make any sense to me. One of them makes a lot of sense, right? Ireland. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Then it's Malaysia, Nigeria, Ghana, and Cameroon. A lot of African countries oh, over there. Yes. Yeah. Maybe they have some sort of uh, tax tax uh, o- oasis over I, there. I, they don't have to deal with shit. I have no clue. I Maybe no their clue. export is a lot cheaper. 
So it's maybe their labor is a lot cheaper. Could there, be. There's 195 countries in the world today. Yeah, and it's available in how many? 150. Wow. Yeah. So 77 percent of the yep. world. Yeah. Has access to Guinness. Yeah. So most people who are listening to this podcast probably have either experienced a Guinness or you know have, know about Guinness, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I just remember Guinness being a full meal, heavy beer. <laughs> That's what people would say, right? And yeah. now I drink it and it tastes like a nice glass of rusty water. <laughs> <laughs> no, Guinness is a Guinness is a good beer. Um, it's not. I wouldn't say it's a great beer, I, but I'd say it's a dependable beer. You, when you drink yeah. a Guinness, you know what it's going to taste like. It's going to have that creamy, smooth mouthfeel. It's going to be yeah. a little a little roasty, but it's really not nearly as roasty as compared to modern stouts and, and some porters that you'll find today. Sure. Um, but uh, I, the production of Guinness, so as we're, we're talking about you know how, how they have 49 breweries all around the world, <clears throat> and collectively between um, all the contract breweries and all their breweries that they own, they produce around 220 million U.S. gallons of beer a year damn that's somewhere around seven million barrels of beer a year a year wow yeah that's crazy that is a that is a <sighs> lot of beer and how much and that's, that's just expensive. guinness that's just guinness that's, that's one crazy. beer i mean when we get into the um uh the the modern beer stuff and the modern big beer stuff i i don't even want to know what bud light is <laughs> it's gonna be off stupid it's oh, gonna be off yeah. the chart yeah stupid um so Guinness is, as I said, uh, a stout, and its primary ingredients are, you know, like most beers, water, barley, roasted malt, hops, yeast. And um, one interesting thing that I did learn is I, kn- I knew this. Um, uh, Guinness used to be fined with Isinglass. Now, Isinglass is made from fish bladder. Okay. Yeah. So why you would fine a beer that basically gets out all the particulate and makes it nice and clear. And when you say when you say, "Oh, Guinness is, isn't clear; it's dark." But if you hold Guinness up to the light, you'll see like a nice ruby clearness. It's not chunky. It's not cloudy. It's right. it's actually a very clear beer. It's just so dark you really can't see through it. Um, but it 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 was um in Isinglass, like I said, which is made from fish bladder. It was a very common way of finding beers. Fish bladder? Fish bladder, yes. Like the organ bladder or the urine? Or just the bladder? The bladder itself? Yeah, the bladder itself, not the Is fish. it ground up? I, ha- I I don't know how Isinglass is made. I just know it's made out of fish bladders. I can just picture them putting... They're putting Guinness through the bladder and it like filters Oh my up God, no, no, no. Drops. That's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> they just add it to the beer and it finds it. Damn, okay. weird. So, so that was up until very recently because I, I would tell people who are vegetarian or vegan if they're ever drinking Guinness, oh. like, oh, you should like be aware of this, right? It's made of fish. Um, but as of 2018, they changed over to a different additive, um, probably something like Biofine or something like that, which is very common in breweries that... Mm doesn't include any animal products so it's vegan and vegetarian friendly crazy yeah the 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 bladder is it's the swim bladder so it's the thing that sort of regulates like their ability to sort of adjust like them floating and and diving and things like that it keeps them kind of controlled not their peeing bladder no that's so weird how they figured that out though like adding yeah yeah Yeah. i wonder what what it does is just catch the 
things and set like it's a it's a clearing agent, right? Like you yeah, said. so it probably I would imagine that it it's like it's positively versus negatively charged, and it grabs onto you yeah. know the opposite. Um, so is it like is it like a Warflock tab? It so Warflock is Irish moss, um, and it, it's similar to that, but you use it in finished beer. Warflock tabs get added during the boil, right? And those precipitate like trube and help you during the end of the beer making process when <clears throat> you're uh, you're whirlpooling, so everything sinks to the bottom, right? And creates a nice pile, so you're you're taking off clear beer. Uh, at that stage but then beer can still become even if you use warfock tablets in your or irish moss in your boil you can still get hazy cloudy beer so you need to find it after the fact and that's when post finding you know uh, finding agents you use like isinglass used to be or like something like biofine is another product that's very common okay so another another thing that is very like specific to guinness and there's other beers that do this as well. It's become more popular, especially in the craft beer scene, but it's still not nearly as popular um, in perspective is the way that it's carbonated. So we, I, I said it's got that smooth, creamy mouthfeel. Everybody knows that. And that's because it's nitrogenated. Mm-hmm. It's not carbonated with CO2. It's a nitro beer. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't always the case with Guinness, though. So <clears throat> it wasn't. Um, until the nineteen late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties, that they started actually using nitrogen when that process was developed. Okay, they have that little little riddle, uh, rattle can, right? They have the little ball in there. The widget, yeah. The widget. Do they have it in the glass bottles? No, no. no? So they used to. They um, you used to need the widget because of I, I don't know exactly what happened, but they couldn't figure out how to nitrogenate it and like make it have that pour right <coughs> out of the bottle. There used to be this little plastic thing that were yeah. inside both the cans and the bottles that would help precipitate the nitrogen. But that's not, they figured out how to package it now where they don't need to do that. How did they put it in the glass bottles? Because you can't pour it out, right? So how do Dude, they fit it I in? don't know how, I don't know how that process I works. I know obviously canning, the top's open when you pour the beer in, right? And then they put the top on? Is that how yes. it works? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and there were actually there's cans that exist now that have widgets that are glued to the bottom or they're, they're like yeah tied they're, in a way or something. Yeah, they're like they're glued to the bottom of the can. Well, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But people have figured out now how to nitrogenate products and package them without having to use widgets mm-hmm. to get that nice nitro. Right. Um, the the last note that I have here about Guinness is. Like James said earlier, it is not a meal. <laughs> and this has always bugged me because everybody, I don't know if it's a thing where you see like the darkness of it and, you, and ev- everybody gets heavy or something. Everybody knows somebody that said, oh, I can only have like one Guinness because it's like drinking a meal, man. Right. Yeah. What a dick. Shut <laughs> up. Like, I remember people up. going, look, you can float a bottle cap on the foam because it's so thick. Yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> silly. That's just so silly. Um, but for everybody's information guinness is 125 calories which is just 15 more than a bud light okay that's nothing right that's negligible it's a light beer it's a light beer guinness is a light beer it's only 4.2 abbv i always thought it was so strong (laughs) yeah i was like damn you drank three guinness dog like in high school Ooh, he's done i'm only four percent yeah exactly i'm wondering if it's just this thing where back in the day people just didn't know 
you know, like everybody you're just used dude. to drinking light beer. It's light in color. You think things that are dark must be heavy and you know. Right. Everybody thought if you're drinking Guinness, you are a man. <clears throat> like, yeah. oh, you're drinking a Bud Light. I'm drinking a Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, damn, that is a that's a big beer. Yeah. At least when I was a kid, that's all. Yeah. But I mean, a lot, I bet a lot of people who don't drink a lot of beers who like will drink just Bud Light as their standard beer. Yeah. They'd be like, oh. One couple of Guinness, and then I'm going back to Bud Light. <laughs> I know, I know. It's hilarious. Yeah, that's always been one of that's been one of my biggest beer pet peeves. Is when people say Guinness is a meal because it's sure ain't. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very light. Yeah, you know what is a meal? All these modern adjunct stouts that have like a million pounds of lactose in them and a Ooh. bunch of residual sugar. And, you know, a 16-ounce can is like eating two Big Macs. Got a shotgun That's a that meal. <laughs> I love those desserty stouts. Oh, man. <laughs> Southern Tier Creme Boulet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. That's because so, all that sugar, man. So good. <laughs> Dude, having one of those after, after, as your dessert after a dinner, a nice fucking dinner, man. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's asleep. like a 9-10% beer on its own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I don't want another calories for that, but it's it's got to be up there. So we're talking about. So this is the history of beer. This is part four. Exactly. This yeah. is that was the, my first beer burp of the year. Nice. Congratulations. This is the Renaissance period. Yeah. So it starts off in the Renaissance period. Renaissance. And then kind of goes into a little bit of the New World America, you know, start of the Industrial Revolution, that kind of thing. So we're doing basically Columbus-ish time frame. 1492 to 1800? Yeah, ish. somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. Then, um, I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, kind of where we left off before, though. That's where we left off. That right? is where we left off, yeah. yeah. So we might as well just continue where we left off, that's, right? That's, that's the this, plan. the whole part of this project. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was excited for this time. I was like, oh, Columbus? You know, America? Beers in America? Beers in America. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. I know. It's starting to get juicy. It's start, it is. We're, we're starting to get juicy. Starting to get some... Starting. We're almost there. Starting to learn some stuff. Maybe you recognize some some breweries now. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. More Americanized ones. That's what I'm excited for. Well, let's, let's fucking get after let's, it, man. Let's get after it. It's now it's easier to find beers. Remember how hard it was to find an ancient beer? <laughs> I now know. it's like, let's grab a Guinness. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seth, give us that juice. Okay, mm. so... Feed us. Um, I have a little note on Columbus just because we're starting with him, right? Sure, yeah. But fine. it has nothing to do with beer. <laughs> uh, so... You killed a thousand million Indians? <laughs> we're not going down that road. That's a whole okay. other episode. Whole Indigenous other episode. Indigenous people day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, Columbus did not bring beer with him on his first voyage. All right? He brought fortified wine. He was Spanish, wasn't he? Or French? Columbus was Italian. <laughs> Italian? That's like French and Spanish mixed together. Oh my god. Basically, of course he's yeah. drinking wine. It's a grape city. So he brought fortified wine because it so it could survive the long trip, right? Fortified right. wine is of higher alcohol and all that stuff. It took what, three months across the fucking Atlantic? Yeah, those guys were just getting wasted, getting scurvy the whole time. <laughs> yeah, sounds basically. Fun as fuck. <laughs> that sounds fun. But uh, one interesting thing that I didn't know is that um, Columbus brought sugarcane with him. Mm. So sugarcane was not indigenous to um, like the Caribbean area and all that. Right. But it did grow very well because of the climate there, <clears throat> which in turn led to the rise of sugar mills in the region. 
which would ultimately lead to rum production yep. in that area. Uh, yeah. So they basically inoculated the like the Caribbean islands with, with fucking sugar. sugar cane. So he must have yes. had seeds then, right? Yeah. He brought yeah. seeds. He, he must or have, maybe right? sugarcane with the seeds the, already on it or something a little bit of both maybe who knows yeah. but yeah that's they they started the whole sugarcane without columbus we area. wouldn't have delicious rum yeah all right i can't hate him for that yeah. i do like some fucking rum man yeah but that's all i had on columbus really i mean that's a good little tidbit though yes yeah i, I mean if you're you know we're talking beer but rum is you know it's still alcohol right yeah <clears throat> it's delicious so now we're going back over the seas and we're going into we're going into Germany, Bavaria, okay, Bavaria, Austria, that whole thing, and um, we're starting with with a big one, fifteen sixteen A.D. All right, we've got the Rheinheitsgebot. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. fun word, very fun word, and it translates to purity order. Okay, and it is a set of regulations for beer making in Germany and the states of the Holy Roman Empire. The most well-known version of Reinheitsgebot was started on April 23rd, 1516, by Bavarian Duke William IV, and he declared that only barley, hops, and water can be used in making beer. So he was probably like, yo, man, everyone, stop calling this beer. This is beer. And then you can only call it beer if it's made out of these three things. Pretty much, yeah. And obviously, they didn't know about yeast yet, and that, that'll, right. that'll eventually be added to the list, but... Um, the other things that Reinheitsgebot did was set prices for beer, and those were dependent, obviously, on the type, the time of year, and um, it also limited the profits of innkeepers and set a penalty for making impure beer, which would result in confiscation. Damn. Yeah. Impure beer, so if it didn't have those three ingredients. Exactly. Now, did it have to have those three ingredients only, or could you also add other only. things? No, it was only those only. ingredients. What? Exactly. Yeah. So, you, like, your new, like... You can't make a raspberry wit? No, <laughs> no, 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 Yeah. Damn, no blue moon with the orange slice? Exactly. So, um... Are they still doing that to this day? Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. And I'll, I'll get to that I mean, shortly. We'll find out in the in the future episode, I'm sure. So America's yeah. just straight up blasphemy, according to Ryan Heiskabu. Well, that was that was you know the law for the time right. in that area. You know th- those laws weren't established in. Um, there was a similar law that was established in in uh, England, and I'll get to that like towards the end of this podcast because that'll have to do with another topic. But, um, uh, I like it. I mean, I think it's a great. It, it, like you said, it almost like it's standardized prices. It's standardized. It's it's putting forth and creating an industry, um, and so you kind of know what you're getting. You yeah, know, like an industry standard. There's yeah. regulations, and mm-hmm. then there's a standard. Like you know, I mean, so I, I think it's a good idea. It was a good start, and there's actually some interesting reasons for why they started doing this. And I didn't actually know these until I started researching for this episode. Well, I knew some of them, but. Um, one of them was to prevent price competition with bakers because they were also using wheat and rye to make right. beer. And so if the brewers are using all the wheat and rye and the bakers also need that wheat and rye to make now, bread. Exactly. And bread's kind of a little more important than beer. I mean, eh, liquid bread and at then the time, bread. you know, so, um, yeah, I Can't mean, go to work drunk. You could, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> they brought, they were, man. <laughs> oh, everybody was drunk. Yeah, exactly. Everybody was drunk. 
Um, the, the, another reason was to restrict the use of additives, which were common in beer in northern Germany. You know, I think the guy just didn't like. You know, he liked beer like how he liked it, and he didn't like it with all that. You know, fancy so, shit. In it, you know? So by having this Reinheitsgebot, Reinheitsgebot, Reinheitsgebot. <laughs> now they they couldn't compete in ingredients from the bread makers. Is that the whole thing? Yeah, because the three ingredients were. Water, barley hops, barley, hops, and water. Yeah, barley hops and water, and then the bakers used rye and wheat. Yeah, exactly. So they used barley instead of rye and wheat. Yeah, and eventually they would also allow wheat again gotcha. to be a part of Reinheitsgebot. That makes sense. Um, so uh, another thing was that religion could have also played a role in this. So there were certain ingredients that were being used that were associated with pagan rituals, such as henbane, belladonna, and wormwood. As well as gruit, which is gruit's not really one ingredient; it's actually like a whole bunch of things. And right. That's where that whole style got developed back in the day. Gruits were essentially beers, and we talked about this before. Yep. That um, didn't use hops, but they used other, you know, botanicals and things to yeah. flavor and bitter the beer. It's like a lot of uh, dogfish head uses a lot of those botanical bullshit. Yeah, all sorts of all sorts of crazy things. Herbs and spices. Yes. Yeah. Um the the last the last reason that I found was to exclude the use of problematic preservatives like stinging nettle, henbane, and soot. Okay. Oh shit, soot. Soot. Huh. And is that like a dust? That's a mixture of trash you sweep up on your floor. And soot is exactly what you think it is. It's like you know the byproduct of you know when you burn coal and shit it's like a that. that. Yeah, Damn. exactly. Yeah. Not that it mattered because nobody was getting. I mean, nobody was living long enough to get fucking cancer anyway. Yeah, they. But, but, uh, they but yeah, they still. didn't know it. But for whatever reason, they were putting it in beer because the they thought they it. They beer? thought it was a preservative, or apparently it was <laughs> acting as a preservative, <laughs> but. Yeah, pretty, pretty. Maybe the charcoal kind of cleared things. I don't know. So I mean, I I think it is like you said. It it, it it's a good start. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. One like one hundred percent. Like uh, whoa, whoa, guys, we're getting a little out of control. I think we need a new modern. Stop right? putting dirt in all the beers, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> stop sweeping off the sand off your carpet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if any German tavern or homebrewer made a batch of beer. Not following Reinheitsgebot's purity law, it would be, it would confiscated. be confiscated. Would there be any reprim- like? Would they be reprimanded or fucking? So cut your tongue out. I have this quote that just says, "Whoever so knowingly disregards or transgresses upon this ordinance shall be punished by the court authorities, confiscating such bar- barrels of beer without fail." Okay, so, so it just sounded like they were confiscating it, but. I mean, I assume back in the day, you don't really want to fuck with the government anyway, because they'll probably kill you for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll just take th- two of your kids. Right. Like, God damn it, okay. Oh, I mean, throughout this time period, there was, like, government body, governing bodies, there was religious bodies, all of these people were, like, declaring, like, drunkenness or public drunkenness, all these, like, like, these were felonies, and, like, you could be fucking killed for being drunk in public. Yeah. And, like, they were taking this shit way too seriously. Mm-hmm. They weren't even burning witches yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Oh, shit. It was before that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I do have a note on modern changes to the law, and we might as well just yeah, yeah. do it now instead of, you know, in the future episodes. But uh, the law is still in use today and has changed slightly over time, allowing for use of other types of malted grains, powdered hops, and hop extracts, and fining agents as well. 
Okay. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if they yeah. were allowing Isinglass, maybe. Um, but as of 2005, the law is just a labeling standard. So if you use other ingredients in beer produced under Reinheitsgebot, you just can't put beer on the label. You can't call it beer? You can't call it beer. What do you call it? Ale? Because that's I have, beer? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Like Alcoholic beverage. You just call it a stout or a porter or nah. an adjunct, whatever, and then... It's, but you, you know, can't put beer you, on the it's label. only in, what, Bavaria? Like Germany, Germany yeah, area? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So um, the, the exception to this that I found was actually gluten-free beer. Because, and I'm thinking that's because um, how would you distinguish what this thing, like how would you tell people that this is beer? Right. You know what I mean? Because it's made with, obviously it's not so, made with wheat, barley, or rye exactly. or anything like that that has gluten in it. So you're trying, this is gluten-free fermented beverage liquid that has alcohol in it. <laughs> gluten-free for loco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can call gluten-free beer beer on the label. To, okay. You know, help people know that hey, this Weird. is beer that's gluten free. Like, that's cool. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I'm glad they allowed that. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, that is a weird one. Um, so around this time period, there was a guy called Martin Luther, who is a German professor of theology, a composer, a priest, and a monk. But he wasn't a king. He was not a king. Thank God. <laughs> Just uh, making sure. Bad. <laughs> That's a bad one right there. So uh, Martin Luther had this great quote that I found on beer. He says, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Ah, nice. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> yeah, that was... That was one of the better beer quotes that I found in uh, in this whole. That's thing. actually a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. It's I don't know about you, man, but the more I drink, the more I sin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I the don't more know. you hate God. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, as we know, uh, drinking beer actually doesn't help you get good sleep. It just helps you go to sleep. Right. Yeah. yeah. Keeps the nightmares away. <laughs> <laughs> um. So traveling in through time here, uh, we're, we're getting to the, the end of the, the 1500s. So um, before, before we go down into the Americas, I have some little bits about England. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, we covered Germany and Bavaria a touch here. Um, but a lot of stuff in the beer world was happening in, in England at this point. And uh, one of those big things was the use of hops. Now, we already talked about the first use of hops in the last episode. Right. But it wasn't until this period in the late 1500s, early 1600s, where hops actually started to really, like, be used a lot in the production of beer. And um, there was this guy, William Harrison, who is an English clergyman, uh, who wrote this book or this piece of writing that was called The Description of England. And in that long thing, he detailed a bunch of stuff like geographic, economic, social, religious, political stuff that all had to do with Elizabethan society. But in that giant piece of writing that he did, there was a small portion on beer, and specifically the importance of hopped beer. And a quote that comes from this piece of writing is that beer is, quote, the preferred beverage of the elite 
an unhopped ale is an old sick man's drink. <laughs> yeah. So in, so fucking elitists were hopping their beers. Now, now when someone drinks a beer with no hops, I'm like, that is not a beer. <laughs> well, the but the interesting thing what about is he, hold on, what does he say about it? It's an old sick man's drink. An old sick man's drink. <laughs> but, <laughs> I gotta remember that one. Yeah, so that that's what like modern people would say about if it's not an IPA, it's an old sick man's drink. Oh, right. Yeah. So, but the interesting thing about that is that um, he's saying ale is an old sick man's drink because at the time there was a difference between beer and ale. So nowadays, when we refer to beer, Ooh. beer breaks off into two major categories: it's an ale or it's a lager. Right. Right. So um, at the time, beer and ale were different things, and the distinction between them was that beer has hops in it, and ale doesn't. Oh, okay. So it, it's the same. You make it the same way. It's you know the fermented um, you know sugar from the barley and water and yeast and all that stuff, except ale just didn't have the addition of hops. So when hops were first being added to beer. It was for preservation. We've talked about this. A lot of people know about that. But hops, as we know, are bitter. And initially, you know, people in England specifically were very reluctant to drinking this type of beer because of its bitterness. But for whatever reason, as, you know, William Harrison details, that became not the case. They developed a taste for hops and, you know, hops are going crazy. Everybody wants hops. Which is really weird because I feel like we're going through that right now, <laughs> like oh, yeah. to an extreme degree. Oh you yeah, everyone wants hops. But I imagine it, you know if you were drinking these beers that they were drinking back in the day, the first beers that had hops in them, they were not getting you know all the crazy fruity flavors and tropical. Yeah, they're getting that, that standard so straight bitter. They man. were getting straight bitterness, you know. Um, and because of the demand for hopped beers, uh, this caused an increase in the cultivation of hops. So um, originally it was a low producing, like farmers really weren't like interested in producing hops until it starts to boom. Now you see 14 countries at the time started to produce hops. And it, it was su- such a successful thing that, um, I mean, as far as like, being profitable that um, one acre of hops would be more um, profitable than 50 acres of fertile land. Damn. Yeah. But because of the finickiness of growing hops, especially at the time, obviously they don't know about, you know, modern science and all that stuff and like breeding different hops and putting all that stuff together. Um, uh, it was tricky to grow hops, and some stains were susceptible to mildew. So if you planted that acre of hops, it could be a bad investment as far as... Like, it was kind of like... They didn't take care of it right. It, it, could, it could easily Exactly, get exactly. Even though it could be so profitable, it yeah. was kind of tricky to do. <clears throat> Damn. See, that's weird because like, hops are... It's to like me, weed, hops man. are very like low maintenance. Yeah. yeah you know way. what I mean? Like... I don't think your dad does a damn thing to those things. He just no. lets them grow every year. They grow in this little brick brick box. Yeah. And every year you get a shitload of hops. <laughs> Shoot up and it's crazy. They're yeah. so good. It's so low maintenance. I actually, though, mine did die last year because of the frost. So 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's stuff like that. There's the frost. If it's too moist, like I said, then you can get the mildew. But then over years, obviously, people <clears throat> develop strains that are resistant to mildew. They're resistant yeah. to different kinds of diseases that they might get. They grow in certain climates, all that kind of thing. Are you talking about GMOs, Seth? Mm. It seems like <laughs> it seems like there is like a standard of like five hop breeds, and then all of a sudden it explodes. Now there's like hundreds of hop breeds. Oh yeah, every year, like the past. Only the past like ten or twenty years, but because of the popularity of hops right now, especially yeah, crazy. every single year, you're seeing so many new hop varieties that are coming into the market. And they've come out with some gems. I mean, you've yeah. been playing around with them in your own like <clears throat> dynamic earth homebrew stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the it, Zappa hop and the fucking all the Neo Mexicanus ones yeah. that we that we had mentioned before. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. And you're getting some crazy new flavors out of all these different hops. Mm. It's exciting. It is. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's better than just fucking drinking a bunch of fuggles, right? <laughs> Some comets. Uh, comet. That, is that an English one? Fuggles? Fuggle, yeah. Fuggle, okay. Fuggle is an English Gold one. nugget. <laughs> East Kent Golding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're... I mean, a lot of those, uh, the old school English and German hops are good for certain things, but they're not good for like new They're school. very plain, right? Like they're they just they add enough to like they're low bitterness, they're more spicy and earthy yeah. and they're good. They're they play better in like wheat beers and in certain lagers and things and stouts where you don't need that like crazy fruity floral hot yeah. character that you get from these new school IPAs, you know. But um, that's that's all I've got really from like England at the time. Obviously, there's a bunch of other stuff happening. Um, we'll get into some breweries that were, were formed later on. But do you guys have anything like around this time period? Uh, well, I do. Just a little tidbit on 1561. Um, beer was first available in glass bottles in Germany. Oh man, I missed that. Glass wow. bottles. Yeah. So 1561. Wow. Beer and glass bottles in Germany. Um, I have one thing. Queen Elizabeth I of England drank strong ale for breakfast. <laughs> Ooh. And uh, strong ale from our last episode was that strong shit. Yeah. Yeah. Probably more than 5%. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's the rich people drinks, the strong ales. Yeah. Those are only for for uh, celebrations. She, oh, she was drinking she it for drank breakfast. That shit. Breakfast. <laughs> that makes sense, though. She's a celebrity. I know, right? Goddamn. So, are we traveling to the new world? We are traveling to the new world um, by boat. Damn. Because that's the only way you can get there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they didn't have jetpacks at this time? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. That, that would come a few years later. Yeah. But, uh, so, beer... So obviously, we, you know, we talked. We started with Columbus, right? So at this point, people had traveled from boat from Europe into North America, Central America. People have started establishing, you know, settlements there. Obviously, the New World, colonies, the man, colonies, colonies all that stuff. Baby. <clears throat> so all this is happening throughout the 1600s, and um, the landmark first shipment of beer that arrived in the new world was to a virginia colony from england shortly thereafter people were like uh hey we need some brewers over here in america Stat. oh my god i'll do you one better 
1587. Before that, damn, the first beer was brewed in the New World mm-hmm. in 1587. In Virginia, right? At uh, yeah, it was a colon- Sir Walter Raleigh's colony in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And this beer was made from Native American corn and maize. So, what's the difference between yeah, corn seriously. and maize? Corn I, is maize. It is the same thing, it's right? Just Indian, isn't that just like Spanish for corn or something like that? Uh, so maize is it's <laughs> yeah, it's basically corn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. So corn and corn. <laughs> I like it. Corn and beer. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I don't know. So they were making like cream ales back then. That's yeah. what was going on. Um, yeah. So they must have started. They were like, all right, we need to get some beer. Like right now, so we'll start brewing it a little bit, and then they're getting shipments of beer, and then they're like, "Well, this takes way too long. We need to start getting breweries over here." So in 1613, these two guys, Adrian Block and Han Christensen, started the first brewery in America on the southern tip of New Amsterdam, which is modern-day Manhattan. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So, um first breweries started there and also at the time you're having the first people who are being born in America are happening right right like the first people born in America from European descent exactly I should say yes <clears throat> so where we're getting the first beer brewed in America we have the first brewery in America and next we have the first brewer born in America Ooh. So it was this guy, and <laughs> I'm not sure on the pronunciation for this one, but I believe it's Jan Vigny, or Vigne. Okay. It's spelled J-A-N. I've heard it both ways. But yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. So um, Jan was born um, as the first white European male in New Netherland, and he goes on in his life to open two breweries and become the first American brewer. Goddamn. Okay. Yeah. This time around the colonies, um, I know I was sort of, I was looking it up and there was this little tidbit about, uh, you know, and then, you know, Connecticut seemed to be the place to be because mm-hmm. colonial Connecticut actually required that each town in, in the colony had to have a place where there was availability for purchasing beer and ale. Nice. It's pretty sweet. It, I mean, it it seemed like this time beer was, I mean, it wasn't necessarily just kind of a sort of, re- of a recreational beverage. It was a real staple as part of like your diet and, oh, and yeah. part of the culture. Yeah. I mean, and, and making sure all the towns were getting on track. Sell yeah. that shit. You have to imagine that this like continues to what we've talked about before in this early history where, um, having stability of liquid that you're drinking, right? That's not being infected. Sure. Like water and like <clears throat> yep. safe drinking water and all that stuff. So you're still relying on, you know, that alcohol to act as a preservative for yeah. your beverages. Mm. And this was unknowing by them though, right? Yeah. Well, what? they knew, but they just didn't know kinda of why or how it was yeah. right. Jesus yet. Yet. God. Obviously, right? But I mean beer brewing in and of itself is like as far as like the age of the colonies, I mean, this was like one of the original industries, yeah, of yeah. the American colonies, definitely, or the colonies of what would be known as America. 
Yeah, because you know we're we're pre seventeen seventy six at this point. Yeah. So obviously we're in the new colonies. All these new things start being established. We have the first commercial brewery, which is started by the West India Company in New Amsterdam, which is New, new York. York. And shortly after that, we have this guy Samuel Cole, who becomes the first person licensed to operate a tavern in Boston, Ma- Boston, Massachusetts. Mm, the first place. That was the first. So Samuel Cole opens up the first tavern in Boston. Okay. Which is not still in existence today, but uh, yeah, is a the, building still there? There are some really old uh, bars that date back to colonial times in Boston. Um, that still exists. I forget what the oldest oh, one is. Is it really? We'll have to look that up. I want to yeah. say maybe Bell and Hand or something. I don't know. But there's there's. We should really look it up old... and go there. Yeah. yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, Around this time, there was the fucking... There was this governor um, in Massachusetts. Oh, what was his name? Um, John Winthrop. Okay. He was the governor of Massachusetts, and he was actually trying to... Um, outlaw all alcoholic beverages in Boston. He was. This was like the first early attempts at goddamn prohibition. Oh wow! Um, and he tried to do it in around this time, around like the 1630s, hmm. in that time frame. Certainly wasn't successful. Oh yeah, Samuel Cole is like fuck that guy, right? But damn, <laughs> like what a dick! <laughs> I know. You know, we'll we'll definitely um, in in the next episode start getting into the beginnings of pre-prohibition and that whole thing and how that starts, which is, you know, in the, in the mid late 1800s, when you start to see the temperance movement building, all that jazz. One thing I did find interesting was there's a practice that is currently still being used that was established in 16, like around 1645 Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts. Um, the the general courts at that time they made this attempt to kind of um sort of maintain moderate drinking within the taverns mm. so like the barkeepers they they had it they were uh demanded by the courts to have a responsibility for their patrons mm. to not let anybody drink excessively or um, continue. They called it a tippling, so tippling um, above the space of half an hour. So what that means is, um, bar patrons or the bar the the bartenders weren't allowed to have their patrons drink more, like excessively within thirty minute w- increments. Like you couldn't have a drink and have another drink within 30 minutes exactly damn that's like casino rules so like it's like foxwoods bullshit (laughs) so like nowadays yeah um like my girlfriend's a bartender yeah and and she does this all the time where you know she has to track everybody's drinking Mm -hmm. making sure her patrons aren't being overserved because massachusetts laws say you go to a bar in massachusetts and you get overserved yeah and you have an accident when you're leaving the establishment or you're you get into a car and drive and for whatever reason and it goes back to her it goes back to her you could sue the restaurant you could sue the bartender yeah it's a crazy lawsuit though it is crazy you got me drunk and then i killed my (laughs) girlfriend i know yes bitch 
But this is stuff that's still in practice today that was established in 1645. Wow. I mean, it was a puritanical society. I'm not surprised that they, you know, started these laws. Right, back then. yeah. I'm surprised that they were actually drinking at all. But it was probably, <laughs> uh, it, it was so custom and ingrained in culture and everything. Right? Yeah. So to rewind real quick to the oldest bar in Boston, yeah, it's the Warren Tavern. The Warren, okay. Warren Tavern has been in the in its current location on Pleasant Street near Bunker Hill Monument since 1780. All right, which is crazy. That's Keeping cool. company with the likes of Paul Revere, Benjamin Franklin, and George Washington. That's awesome. How crazy. cool is that, man? That's, That's cool. and you can go there. I know. Mm, yeah. There's others like the Bell and Hand. Yep. And also the Green Dragon Tavern. Uh, oh yeah, I know. I've I've walked by all these. Yeah, I know where. This I don't is. think I've been I, to I any know where, of these. I know where they are. Yeah, the Last Hurrah. Yeah. That sounds cool. That's like Last Call, bitch. Come over here. <laughs> <laughs> we got to try though, one of those. I got to go to one of those. No, we, we definitely should. TFK field trip. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. There's so much history. TFK right on this. location. Oh, that'd be sick. Oh, that would be cool. So. Obviously, at this time, we're talking, you know, mid-1600s to mid-1700s. Breweries start popping up all around New England, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, even as far south as Georgia, um, including in New Hampshire, where um, Samuel Wentworth starts the first brewery in Portsmouth. Cool. Yes. And I only added that tidbit about New Hampshire because we're in New Hampshire right now. (laughs) It's our home. Yeah. Um, And speaking of George Washington, in 1754, he was writing beer recipes. What? That's George Washington himself? George Washington himself. Before he was the president? Well, it was 1754, so yes. It was before he was president. Before America America was America? (laughs) He was writing writing beer recipes? Yeah. Which is pretty cool. I'd like to see that recipe. Right. I've read it. Oh, you did? It's the small beers one. Is it not good? Uh, It's pretty simple. Okay. (laughs) Maybe we'll try. It's kind of funny though, the wording. The wording. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll have to look that up. Yep. Um, so obviously we got George Washington. We got the foundation of America happening right now, and the Revolutionary War is about to start up. Weren't it, they given the soldiers like everybody was granted in their rations every day, like some an amount of beer? Yes, they were. Um, they were <laughs> for rations. Soldiers got either one quart of spruce beer. Or cider per day. What would you take? Oh, I know what I'll take. Cider all day. Yeah, I bet that cider was better than the spruce beer. Yeah. Probably yeah. more alcohol, spruce? maybe? Um, like, I'm thinking of a spruce tree. Yeah. Spruce That's, beer? That sounds amazing, dude. That sounds nasty. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm Ooh. all about that cider. Think of think of all the extra sugars and apples that could probably cranked up that ABV a little bit more probably than a spruce tree. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to go with the cider, man. And you got to you got to obviously bulk save your weekly serving so you get blackout on Friday. <laughs> in I know in the well, 70 shitload. In the oh, 1700s, yeah. like 17 like 1730, um hard cider was actually served. It was used as currency in North mm. America. Yeah. How much how much did you get a day? One quart, which is one two quart. pints. Two pints a day. Two pints. Save that over the five days. That's 10 pints. And a pint's 16 ounces, right? That's correct. 10 pints on a Friday night yeah. of hard cider. <laughs> if you survived you battle. Drunk as, well, <laughs> you got to drink the pain away, right? <laughs> Mental and physical. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Damn. You get your fucking leg taken sweet. out by a cannonball. 
What do you get in the oh, military yeah. these days? Oh, you don't get any beer, man. Non-alcoholic, right? Yeah, we were talking about oh, that yeah, before. Yeah, so, yeah right? we did get the pallets of the NA beer, the yeah. NA Corps, but... Didn't you get, like, one Bud Light on Christmas or New no, Year's no, or something the, like uh, that? No, no, the Marine Corps birthday. Oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> you got we, one beer? We each, they were each given out one 12-ounce can of Bud Light. I bet there was a couple groups hoarding those, though, right? Like, who was the guy handing them out? He's like, oh, I'm going to keep oh, 30 sure for myself. Oh, I'm sure there was generals and... But, you know, even those fucking higher-up officers, they had, like... I'm sure they had like liquor cabinets in their oh. fucking, you know, offices and all that bullshit. They you know. totally did. Oh yeah, of course totally. they did. Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's the uh, brew. Here's the uh, actual George Washington's recipe translated. <clears throat> you want to read it? Take a large sifter full of bran hops to your taste. Boil these three hours? Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a better one. Then strain out 30 gallons into a cooler. Put in three gallons of molasses while the beer is scalding hot or rather draw the molasses into the cooler and strain the beer on it while boiling hot. Let this stand till it's a little more than blood warm. Blood warm. Then put in a <laughs> quart of yeast. If the weather is very cold, cover it over with a blanket and let it work the cooler 24 hours, then put it into the cask. Leave the bung open till it's almost done working. Bottle it that day. Week it was brewed. Must be bottle it that week it was brewed. Wow. Seth, I think you should make it. I think you should make it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Probably a waste of all the ingredients. (laughs) A quart of yeast. Well, I'm not going to make a 30-gallon batch. Right. You know? I could scale it down, obviously. But still, a three-hour boil? (laughs) Uh, Dude, I was reading about this this beer. um, Man, I should have prepared this for this episode. But there's this beer in Poland that they basically boil for like 24 hours or something. Damn. And it just gets like so like thick. It has such a high starting gravity. Which means it has like a pretty high finishing gravity, a right. bunch of extra sugars and everything. But like, it's crazy how it ferments. Um, I'll have to there look was a, that up for the next episode. There's a beer at the, it wasn't Brew Woo, but it was like a whatever the beer tasting is in Boston. I went to a few years ago and they had a 24 hour boil beer. Yeah. I wonder if it was, I think it's called Joppin or something yeah. like that. Or it's a long Polish word that shortens to Joppin. So obviously if it's boiling more, more water is being evaporated exactly. and taken away. So all those grain, like all the malts and the sugars, everything gets super like yeah, concentrated. You're, you're and concentrating. Thick and, yeah. It's like when you're making um, maple syrup. Right, right. If you go back and listen to the great episode we did on that with Anthony Caruso. Mm. Yes. Sipping on some syrup. I, I can't wait to make maple syrup again. Yeah, mm. it's coming up, man. You should do those flips or the mm. slops or whatever they are. Flips. Flips. Mm. All right, so Revolutionary War happens, and, you know, America, you know, that's cool. Taxation it. without <laughs> representation. Yep. And now we get taxed like a mofo. So um, towards the end of this, the 1700s, we're starting to get a little more science exploration. And um, one of the big things is um, this French chemist, Antoine Lavoisier, published the first modern chemistry textbook in which he details that fermentation produces carbon dioxide known as carbonic gas as well as the spirit of wine and 
at this time, they didn't have a word for alcohol. So this is where it comes into play. Oh, cool. Oh, so it so, makes alcohol. Exactly. So he was saying that instead of calling it the spirit of wine, it should be called alcohol, which comes from an Arabic word, al-kul, which comes to mean a distilled or rectified spirit. Because... Um, they need they needed a word other than spirit of wine because the sugar from grapes isn't the only thing that produces alcohol right right so it can also come from cider and other sugars such sure. as when you're making beer so that's where the word alcohol derives from damn al cool thank yes. you antoine yeah to hop on that chemistry sciencey stuff mm. Uh, the first uh, hydrometer was invented around this time, too. Yep. As well as the thermometer, right? I'm not sure if the thermometer was invented the, during this time or if its use it in brewing was... Like controlling temperature. I feel like... Yeah, I, but I would have to imagine... Yeah, we will look this up yeah. uh, for the QC portion to see when thermometers were invented. Yeah. But it was around this time that um, hydrometers and thermometers were starting to be used in brewing. So, Seth, let the uh, can you inform the listeners about what a hydrometer is, for those who don't know? So, a hydrometer is used to measure the specific gravity. And why is that important? Okay, so that basically gives you the sugar content of the beer. Right. So, when you, at the beginning, so brewers measure... Um, specific gravity in either or, or they measure the sugar content either in specific gravity or play-doh okay and that's p-l-a-t-o right not yeah. not the little colored you know children's toy yeah which are not gluten-free by the way <laughs> certainly are not <laughs> fun fact yeah so um uh with a hydrometer if you're measuring the sugar content you want to do it throughout the brewing process so at the beginning of the brewing process, after you have your wort that you've converted from, you know, you're steeping your grains in water, right. and then when you take it out and you've got that liquid wort, um, you measure the gravity, and that's called your starting gravity. Okay. Um, and that's usually measured throughout the process as well. You'll you'll measure your first runnings, your last runnings, your pre-boil, your post-boil. And the most important one is your post-boil because that'll tell you what your starting gravity is. And then if you have your final gravity after fermentation is completed, then you can figure out how much alcohol you've made at that point. Okay. There's equations. Now online, there's calculators that you can use and you can put in your starting and your final gravity, and then you get your ABV. There's also other things that you can figure out with this, like your calorie content and that kind of stuff. So as the yeast are converting those starches, the sugars into alcohol, yep. it's taking the, it's dropping the gravity of the water yeah. or the, the, of the, it's not wart at that point. What is it? Just so, your... so wart is once you add yeast to wart, then it becomes beer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, as the yeast is doing their conversion of that sugary liquid, your gravity drops. So, what brewers will do um, when they're monitoring a batch of beer that's fermenting, they'll take the gravity on that beer every day so that they'll see that their fermentation is happening. And when you're brewing um, 
a beer a, a style of beer or or a beer recipe that you know, you should generally know what that finishing gravity will be. And there's also like calculators that can predict what your finishing gravity will be based on a whole slew of how much malt you used, how much the malts you used and what kind of yeast you're using and how well it attenuates and also added (laughs) refined sugars. Yeah. All that (laughs) stuff. There's a lot of factors and that would be a whole episode on brewing science in and of itself. But essentially the hydrometer is really important. One of the big things that it let them do was figure out how efficient their brews were actually being made. So like what types of grains were giving you a better sugar content. Okay. And uh, at the time, um, like brown, uh, or, or, you know, brown malt was cheaper than pale malt to make beer, but they figured that pale malt actually was producing more sugars than brown malt was Hmm. and that that'll play a little bit into um a style of beer that was developed uh around this time called the porter yeah Mm. tasty yeah so um before we get into porters i've got one more sciencey thing that was kind of happening during this time and that was draft beer draft beer yes so we know today draft beer we go into our bar or whatever and we get it what do you have on tap or what do you have on draft or what do you have in bottles and cans or whatever you know there's those two distinctions because you go to the bar you get draft beer it's fresh it's coming out of a keg you pull that handle and you're getting beer right Mm. draft beer is the best Unless your lines are dirty, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or your or your kegs five months old. Go to a dive bar. <laughs> you go to a dive bar. They don't clean those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to be careful with that kind of stuff. But um, the original draft beer or the system that was invented uh, came about in 1691, where this Dutch inventor and manufacturer named John Lofting from Amsterdam um, came up with an idea for the beer engine. Cool. Yeah, that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it wasn't until years later, um, in the late 1700s, when this guy Joseph Brahma uh, continued on that um, uh, that invention by John Lofting and actually built and put into use the first beer engine. So um, until this time. So many ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until this time, basically. Like the sickest bar ever. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> um, all the beer that you were getting was coming like straight from the cask. Like you would tap the cask, get it out of, you know, <clears throat> you weren't like transporting it like through right, a system right. of pipes or anything no, like that. No, fuck no. You were pouring no. it right from the big wooden from, barrel thing. No, yeah, 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 exactly. So um, with the invention of the beer engine, this thing would... Um, it could be operated manually with a hand pump or when, you know, as electricity and gas power came into play, they would be um, powered that way. But it was this thing that would sit under, you know, generally be underneath the bar and it would connect via tubing, like some kind of flexible tubing to casks that were in the basement. So now you could have colder beer because they were storing the the casks of beer in the basement where it was cooler nice and then it would be pumped up via the beer engine into um uh into the spout at the end which is what your where your tap handle would be cool man what a fucking good idea yeah 
Well, obviously it's a good idea because it's fucking worked out this far. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But damn, how cool of a bar, like... You know, you, you, you become a new regular at the fucking bar with the... With the beer w- engine. With the beer engine. Like, <laughs> how exciting. Yeah, you're getting a fresh pint. You're like, wait a minute, this is cold. Oh, it tastes a little bit better when it's cold, doesn't it? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Damn. Ah, the future. I know. And now, you know, we're pushing it through with CO2 and all sorts of crazy things. And stout and taps. And hop cage thing that they got. Oh, yeah. All sorts the of... The Randall. Yeah. The Randall, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So it was around this time, right? Like what? We, what did we say? Seventeen fifty nine was Arthur Guinness established the Guinness Brewery in Dublin. Yeah, we didn't mention that yet, but that yes, that is when that happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I figured we were wrapping up the seventeen hundreds and you know bringing it full circle. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, at the beginning we were talking about Guinness. We didn't even say when Guinness was started. <laughs> because we're too distracted by the deliciousness i know yeah my first beer i know my glass is empty my <laughs> glass is empty too i'm just staring at the kegerator over yeah. there <laughs> but we shall finish we shall finish part four um so yeah do you, before we go into any notable styles or drinks from this period do you guys have anything else from like the history portion when i was looking through this stuff to me it seemed like the 1600s Mm-hmm. seemed to there was a lot more like hustle and bustle surrounding like the style of of gin and the rise of like gin as being like a favored sort of distilled spirit i guess yeah yeah um and then sort of more so in the 1700s with the with the colonies and everything like that um moving more over into like rye whiskeys and and that was kind of like a big sort of important drink everybody was kind of getting away from rum and and focusing more on like rye whiskeys mm-hmm. um i just thought that was pretty interesting you know beer it seemed like beer was prominent but it was kind of almost taking a little bit of a back seat around this time with mm. with all the other um harder the, alcohols yeah, that were yeah yeah, yeah. cuz beer was still for the most part like I'm sure they were drinking beers during the day, you yeah. know, like, oh, that's water. And then, you know, you get get your hard alcohol in the mix and you're starting to, you know, having to watch your, your tippling point. And I think there was around this time, like towards the end of the 18, like 1700s, um, Australia didn't have, they didn't have any alcoholic beverages there. And so like, I don't know what it was, but like. Like the English colonies, like the they would go over there to like the Australians, and then they would give them like some fucking hard alcohol, like straight up liquor, yeah, and giving them like, oh here, sample this, and they would obviously like make a disgusted face, of course, <laughs> and yeah. like they like took offense to that shit. They couldn't understand why people wouldn't like this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah, I, I think I did see during this time period uh, towards the late 1700s, Australia did have its first brewery yeah. that was being developed. Molson, right? Molson in seventeen eighty six. Is that right? So that's Canada. Yeah. In Canada. <laughs> not, not Australia. <laughs> I know, but, but they both... Molson was started, right? Yes, Molson was started during that time. And then I got seventeen eighty nine, James Madison proposes that Congress levy a low eight cent duty per barrel on malt liquors to encourage the manufacture of beer in every state of the Union. Nice. Mm. Nice. Yeah. That's very good. All right. So that's pretty crazy. 
So let's carry it on to styles. All right. So I have one prominent style that was developed during this time, which we talked a little bit about, um, and that's porter. So it was a, a new style of beer in England, and there's kind of a weird history behind the porter. And there's a common story that goes around on how porters were started, but nobody's been able to like 100% verify that this is a true story. Sure. So um, at the time, there was a popular drink called Three Threads. Three Threads. And what Three Threads was, was a mixture of three different drinks being ale, beer, and two penny. And two penny was a strong, was the strongest of the beers. And for whatever reason, people really like to mix these three beers together. Hmm. But it was a pain in the ass to do, but people wanted it. So there was this guy who was like, well, why don't I just figure out how to brew a beer that replicates the taste of these three beers oh, put together? That's pretty smart. And that's how the porter was born. Cool. Oh, yeah. What? <clears throat> interesting. Yeah, so um, porters were, in, were very interesting because they were the first beer that was aged at the brewery and sold to be drunk without any aging required at its destination. So you would brew a porter at the brewery, ship it off to your tavern, and then it was ready to go. And I guess this was not a common thing at the time. So <clears throat> another thing that was interesting about porters was that they were the first beer that was able to be produced on a large scale. And this aided to the success of a bunch of breweries at the time that started producing uh, porters because they were able to be made at large scale. When you can make things on a large scale, now you can make more money. Yeah. Right. So there was this one brewery at the time that made a lot of money off of porters, which is called Whitbread, which actually still exists today, except it's not a brewery anymore. <laughs> um, what is it? But at one point, a Whitbread in the 1780s was the largest brewery. Weird. Hmm. And now... Is it called a, Wonder Bread? Is it a... <laughs> geriatric retirement home or something <laughs> no it's a multinational hotel and restaurant company <laughs> the fuck oh my god yeah and they're headquartered in um england and they're like giant they're they huge. fucking they're, sold wow. out they're a huge company yeah but they're they at one point they were the largest brewery in the world damn yeah and they made their their money off of porters real quick what was three threads again it was two penny two penny beer and ale Two penny beer and ale. Yeah. And ale obviously is beer with no hops. Correct. From back then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as we talked about before, this is where we're starting to see the use of thermometers and hydrometers. And those were prominent in um, brewing porters, like in the, the, at the breweries that were making porters. And originally, like I was talking about earlier, how they discovered that brown malt isn't doesn't create as good of a sugar yield as right. pale malt. Well, they figured this out in porters because porters were originally brewed from 100% brown malt, and that's what gave them their dark color. Right. But then after they after they figured out that they could get a better yield from using a mostly pale malt and then adding a little bit of brown malt for flavor and color, they were able to obviously make more money because their efficiencies are better. But when you do that, your color isn't as dark as what a porter was. 
So would you get more like a brown ale or something? So, so they it start putting like coal in it to make it darker? Ding, ding, ding. No, really? <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> That's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. So they would basically put all sorts of weird shit in it to get it to, you know, darker. to color it and everything. <sighs> and um, it was because of this that, um, you know, London or, or brewers in England, they had to put this kind of Reinheitsgebot of their own in effect to stop these people from putting all this weird shit in beers. Stop putting octopus ink in there? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, people do that today. That's actually safe. That's actually safe to do. Um, but uh, this, in, in, the 18, in the early 1800s, there was the invention of black malt, and that kind of just got rid of all this. Sure. Because now, which is like, it's kilned malt, it's actually like, it's roasted darker, so you can use a little bit of dark malt to get that dark color which is essentially what guinness does why it's so light it just uses a that hint of dark, dark malt to give you that nice color it's bud light with dark malt yeah and the um the the name porters actually are derived from its popularity with london laborers and porters mm. <laughs> but i mean there were other obviously brown ales were prominent that was a big thing that was drank at the time but i think the at least from uh england and english breweries porters were like the big beer of the time i like a nice porter yeah vanilla porter <clears throat> <laughs> new school that's right baby mm. i mean boulder boulder beer companies their their chocolate porter shake is is one of my top <laughs> was you mean sadly yeah yeah yeah. i still have like six bottles left (laughs) nice yeah but r.i.p treasure them i have a style that the colonies were doing in the uh 16 late 1600s early 1700s that's what we're gonna do right we're gonna do this right yeah we're gonna do this like soon we're gonna we're gonna make this should we tell them yeah tell them what it is man. okay all right um, so there was a style that they were doing. It was called, um, oh God, it was called flip. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was yeah. called flip. So this was a beverage that they would make that was very popular around the winter times. Was it popular in, in Philadelphia by any chance? <laughs> Ooh, probably. <laughs> and they had flip cup competitions with drinking flip. And they called it Flipadelphia. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's how that all started. Yes. Um, but it was, a, it was a beverage that they, they made in the wintertime that was really popular in the taverns. So they would, take, they would take beer, mix it with rum, and then and sugar. And what they would do is they would take a, one of those like fireplace pokers. Mm-hmm. And they, would, they would get the, get the iron really, really hot mm-hmm. in the fireplace then they would poke they would stab the the beverage in the mug to like heat it up and froth it up the sugar would add a lot of froth to oh, it okay yeah and they would enjoy a nice little hot alcoholic uh rum beer beverage can't like wait it. i'm gonna drink <laughs> shit those. sounds delicious yeah i wonder what kind of beer they use well obviously they only had didn't really have that many but how yeah. many, what kind of beer should we use I would say probably some kind of stout or porter. Yeah. Something that goes good with rum, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. Or, or a brown, a brown, brown ale, ale or something. Yeah, I think a brown yeah. ale. Yeah. 
Some marshmallows on the rim, maybe? <laughs> marshmallows <laughs> on the rim? Sounds like a s'more Ooh, That could be the sugar we could add, yeah. No, maple syrup. No, I was thinking maple syrup, man. Right. Fresh, no. fresh made, homemade maple oh, syrup yeah. while it's still hot. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So watch out for that. Yeah, that'll be fun. Check that out on our Instagram. Anything else before we bring the, uh, the history of beer part four to a close? So I just wanted to mention some notable breweries that were founded during this time. Okay. Which oh, okay. Yeah, still yeah. exist one way or another today. Um, we obviously mentioned Guinness already, but um, I'm going to go in chronological order there for you guys. Uh, 1650, you have Grolsch Brewery, which was founded in Gronlo, Netherlands. Hmm. And um, Grolsch, obviously, very... Uh, famous for their swing top green bottles oh okay yep yeah exactly i remember them now yeah yeah everybody knows girls for those bottles yeah and you can still um still get those today uh next up we have 1634 polliner brewery which was founded in munich germany by the minim friars and named after their founder francis of paula and fun fact about polliner they are one of the six breweries that provide beer for the official Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. Yes. I've had Polliner beer. It is quite good. You can still... Don't they have it at the Big E? Uh, they probably have Polliner there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, next up, we've got Scottish and Newcastle Brewery mm. in 1749. And they're obviously famous for Newcastle Brown now. Right. Right. Clear bottles. Clear bottles, yeah. Um, so this brewery history was a little interesting they were founded in edinburgh scotland by a woman and her sons woman who goes by the name of grizel sime i don't know I, i'm sure it's not that it's simmy maybe i i, I, I don't know. i've heard it both ways yeah so um it was originally called william younger and company after um the the woman's like second husband who died he was originally found in it or whatever but then they merged with a place called McEwen's in 1931 and became scottish brewers and then they merged with newcastle in 1960 and became scottish and newcastle which they are today yeah um next up we have our featured beer today 1759 we have the guinness brewery founded yes. by sir arthur guinness at saint james gate in dublin ireland and they started by selling porter in 1778 and then it wasn't until um the mid 1800s where you first see the uh, term stout appear for guinness and even to this day there's some like a weird thing between porters and stouts where like there's a lot of overlap there you know Mm -hmm. between like what a porter is and what a stout is you know, some people generally say porters aren't quite as roasty as stouts, um, but they both can vary in ABV depending on the type of porter or the type of stout. So um, it was interesting because back in the day, um, obviously the term stout didn't exist, so everything that was like a dark beer was called a porter. But then there was all these... Um, like different kinds of porter that were being brewed it would be like extra porter or like you know superior porter and then they were like well let's come up with another name for it and we'll call it we'll call it stout 
but still there's like a porter and a stout. I'm sure you if you've ever drank a porter or a stout, you've had one or the other where you're like, this could be a porter. Sure. Yeah. This could yeah, be yeah. a stout. Of course. Especially with all the adjuncts and everything being added to both of those styles of beer nowadays. It's like this, you know, sweet vanilla caramel porter could easily be a sweet caramel vanilla stout. Sure. <laughs> depending on how that brewery wants to market it, you know. And it's still, it, it, it was something that when I, I remember I first started drinking beer and I was like having Sierra Nevada Porter or Sierra Nevada Stout. I was like, why are these two beers like called different things? They're pretty similar, but they, I, I don't know. I don't know. It always confused me in the beginning too. But next up we have Bass Brewery, which was founded in 1777 in Burton-on-Trent, England by William Bass Jr. And they produced Bass Pale Ale. And in 1877, they became the largest brewery on earth, producing a million barrels a year. Damn. Damn. Yeah. I've and never even had a bass beer. You've never had a bass? No. Not really? even like mixed in like a black and tan or something? No. Getting some bass? Wow. I mean, I guess, yeah. Huh. Never had a bass. Bass is, it's okay. Yeah. I haven't had one in a long time, but. Only for like a black and tan. Yeah. Which apparently you're not you shouldn't order if you go to Ireland. No, that's like a, ooh, yeah, really, yeah, you get beat up. Yeah, what'd you just order? It's actually offensive, I think. Two well, beers mixed together, please. Yeah, yeah. There, there's like an offensive history there or something there is, like that. Yeah, and you you definitely don't want to order it. You won't if you're getting a black and tan. You want an all Irish black and tan, which is like Guinness and Harp. You don't you don't right. want the 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 bass and the Guinness because that's like English and Irish and it's a whole <laughs> thing together and they don't like to mix. Yeah. Um so next up in 1786 as James mentioned earlier we have Molson Brewery. All right, yep. Which was founded in Montreal, Australia. Montreal, Australia. <laughs> Montreal, Australia. <laughs> Great place if you haven't been. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that they have w- the sweetest kangaroo milk. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, hoser. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, Molson Brewery out of Montreal, Australia, was founded by English Freemason John Molson. And it is, fun fact, the oldest brewery in North America. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. North America, right. Yes, North America, not the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. all of North America, though, Dang. which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, they became the seventh largest brewery in the world when they merged with Coors to become Molson Coors in 2005. That makes sense. And a fun fact about them is that they still produce beer on the site of the original brewery. That's pretty cool. Which is not something that happens with, like, most of these old breweries, like, especially a bunch of the ones that I just, like, Guinness, like, only up until recently, like, has, like, a spot in, like, Ireland that you can go to now. Sure. Um, Because all these brands were just conglomerated and bought up by these large uh, companies, which we'll we'll get into in Big Beer, but it's pretty wild how the, the web of all this all these brands kind of come together yeah um i mean that that that's the last one i had guys awesome so on on the next episode we're we're gonna get into a little more modern times 1800s to pre-prohibition which is 1920 yep that should be fun 
and um, we're, we got new styles, um, lighter beers. We have the amazing birth of the best beer style ever, which is the IPA. Mm-hmm. We get that that fun story. Um, we've got more science coming into play with the use of pasteurization, the discovery of yeast cells. We have uh, the formation of the first Trappist breweries. Um, more American breweries pop up. We've got the start of Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, our, our lead into Prohibition and, and all that jazz. Mm-mm-mm. So that's episode 40. Ten episodes away. Yeah, yeah. History see of you in the summertime, five. boys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. See you cool. later. Thank you for listening. So interesting. <laughs> oh my god, you guys did so good with that episode. <laughs> I think that was the best episode that we've done this week. I'm so thirsty right now. Mm. I want to drink some old beers, some Bavarian brews, some American ales. You got some American ales, right? I do. I'm gonna drink some. Because they were all made in America. That's right. By me. Well, um we did history beer part four. Done. And we covered a lot of ground. Sure did. Mm. And um, we went through a lot of like hard facts and stuff. And there's really not too much to QC in this one. But I do have a couple of notes about um, thermometers and hydrometers. Right. And that's because we were questioning when those were first made. We know they were first used in brewing in the mid-1700s. But like they actually go back like way farther than that. But it wasn't until the mid, the early to mid 1700s when modern thermometers and hydrometers were made. The modern thermometer was invented in 1709 by Daniel Fahrenheit. Okay. And um, it was enclosed in a glass tube and had a numerical scale that was called the Fahrenheit scale, mm. obviously after himself. And in inside that glass tube, there was alcohol, and then a few years later, mercury. And... He assigned the freezing point of water to 32, boiling point of water is 212, you know, that we know today. Um, A few years later, there was a guy called Anders Celsius, and he developed another numerical scale that was known as the Celsius or centigrade scale, and he based um, the freezing point of water as zero and the boiling point as 100, which is, like, um, much easier 
So, Mr. Fahrenheit, Mr. Celsius, is that my understanding? That yes, that is correct. Yeah, it's very silly and oh boy. Okay, it, it made me laugh, and it also made multiple takes have to happen on this PC portion <laughs> because of how funny we thought it was that the guys were named Fahrenheit and Celsius. But anyways, so we have the modern um, inclusion of these tools, and then brewers start using them in the, in the mid to late 1700s at this time, which are, is improving the brewing process. And another way that they were improving the brewing process was with the use of a hydrometer. Okay. And the, um, the idea of a hydrometer was first established around 400 CE, but it wasn't until around the same time as the thermometer that the modern... Um, tools that were currently used in the brewing process were developed and those were um, made by a guy named Antoine Baum and another guy named William Nicholson. Okay. So it makes sense that the modern more sophisticated versions of these tools were being developed around the time that they were being used in the brewing industry. So, so it lines up with what we were saying exactly. earlier. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But other than that um, I really don't have any other uh, QC stuff with this one um, we covered a lot, like I said, but there's also still much more that anybody could dig into. Sure. We're just trying to hit the main points that either we found interest in or thought were, you know, a big part of the beer history as a whole. Mm-hmm. So stick around for episode 40 coming up where we hit the what pre prohibition era. Oh yeah. There's, there's a lot of 1800s to, to what? 1920s. <clears throat> yeah. Yep, that, okay. that, that'll be a good one, which leads into, you know, the one everybody's been waiting for. Prohibition. All of them. Mm. Everybody's waiting for that one. I can't wait for that one. That one's going to be fun. Yeah, that's probably going to be like a two-parter, maybe a trilogy. What? Probably not a trilogy. <laughs> all right, well. Just want to give a big shout-out to all our subscribers from 2019. We're on 2020 now, so any new fans, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Like us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook and check us out on Twitter because we got a new Twitter. Tweet, 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 baby. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Sausage candles.